heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Welcome back to this Wednesday episode of Locked On Bears, brought to you by xbet.ag. Find out why they call themselves the last sports book you will ever join. I'm your host, Lauren Cox from Pro Football Focus and USA Today's BearsWire.com, and I am here to bring you your daily Chicago Bears talk on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Today we are going to talk about Mitchell Trubisky and how you develop the quarterback position. And I know I'm going to need some help talking through all of the the nuances here of quarterback quarterback development. So I'm bringing in some help. I am joined today by Mark Schofield. He is pretty much the head guy in charge, the lead writer over at Inside the Pylon. He is Twitter's resident quarterback expert. He does quarterbacks for Bleacher Reports, NFL 1000, and he is the host of Locked On Patriots on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark, how are you today? I'm doing well, my friend. You are much too kind there in the intro. I am just, I consider myself one of, shall we say, many quarterback experts on Twitter. There are lots of them out there. Well, um, there, there are lots of people that think they're quarterback experts, but there are you, few. You, you said it, my friend, not me. <laughs> well, I am going to say there there are few that have the, the track record to back it up. And for my listeners that don't know Mark, he absolutely does back it up. Like I said, go to his Twitter handle, at Mark Schofield. You can see for yourself exactly why I am so complimentary of this man's quarterback opinion. And and Mark, I brought you on to obviously talk about the start of Mitchell Trubisky's career in Chicago. But I want to go back to a little bit of Mitchell Trubisky in college at North Carolina, the last time he's played meaningful football. And I guess to start, could you give me your NFL draft scouting report on Mitchell Trubisky. I know you and I were big Deshaun Watson fans, I mean, among other people, but we had him as quarterback one. But where was Mitchell Trubisky for you in in the quarterback race? Man, you're about to take back all the nice things you said about me, aren't you? Yeah, I'm worried here. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, no, look, I, you know, Trubisky four? for me was, yeah, he was four for me. Okay. And, you know, and not just for me, but for, you know, the inside the pile on draft guide as well. Um, and that was, you know, me and Ted Wynn at Raiders Analysis, we were doing the quarterbacks for that. And it wasn't that, like, we didn't like Trubisky at all. It was just we liked all four of these guys. I mean, for everybody that was out there saying, look, this is a bad quarterback class. These guys can't play. Like, Mahomes is never going to pan out. Kaiser's lost it. You know, Watson's not going to be an NFL quarterback. Trubisky doesn't have the experience to play in this league, whatever. We liked all four of these guys. And, you know, when Ted and I went through them and then later when I did my own thing and went through them, it was sort of hard for me to rank guys two, three, and four. I mean, I was all in on Watson like you were as well. But, like, the next two, three, four guys, like, I liked all of them. And I, I looked at all of them as these are guys that can play as rookies. And I was that way with Trubisky. I mean, I pulled up the scouting report that I wrote on him for the draft guide, and I was just like, he has the potential to start during his rookie season. And I, I was hoping that he would be on his, in a situation where they had lots of weapons around him because um, it would make it a little bit easier for him because there were some concerns that I did have about his game. Mainly, you know, when studying his college tape, the situations where he struggled seemed to be when the post-snap look from the defense didn't match up with that pre-snap look. And there were a number of plays that I could point to. I mean, one that really sticks out in my mind was a simple play, a stick concept 
against Virginia where you've got three receivers, the two inside guys are each running curls or outs, depending on what they see from the coverage. Pre-snap, the inside trips guy is uncovered. They've got a slot corner, but he's over the middle trips guy. That's what Virginia's showing him. And so he's thinking, look, I'm just going to throw the quick curl to this inside trips guy. Easy six-yard gain. Let's go. Second and four, right? Well, at the snap, Virginia's slot corner jumps that inside guy. So then most quarterbacks, even at the high school level, would think, oh, well, I'll just throw to the middle trips guy. That's my next read. Trubisky just froze. He tucks it, and then he gets sacked. Like, And, you know, that was just a simple concept. So it was just one of many examples where when that post-snap look didn't match up with the pre-snap look, it was like he was panic-stricken. He couldn't figure out what to do next. And same thing with that interception, the pick six he threw against Stanford in the bowl game. It was just a simple rolled coverage. He didn't get the look that he was expecting and threw it right to a defender. And so there were things like that that just stood out to me like, okay, you can't deny the raw talent. He's a talented kid, athletic, tough, can make a variety of throws. There were some mechanical things I saw as well with his hips and his lower body, particularly when he's thrown out towards the right where he couldn't wasn't rotating the hips correctly. But you know, those were nitpicky type things. The kid was still a first round type talent that should be playing as in his rookie year in the NFL. And that's kind of the way I felt about him. Now, when he went to Chicago, I had some reservations about him playing right away, which we can get into. But I mean, that was basically, man, my thoughts on him pre-draft. Like, talented kid, you know, just was fourth in the group of talented kids. Yeah, I, I totally respect that. And it sounds to me a little bit like the the post snap reading there. I mean, yes, it's something that you, he needs to continue to grow at. But at the same time, I do feel like there's some there's the experience factor plays a role in that in the sense that when he is able to play more games see coverages roll post snap that's how he grows in that area not that it not that i'm not to excuse it or anything like that but to say that in terms of development and future growth that's the kind of thing that would come with more experience under center and not be as easy to simulate in practice or, you know, the Bears have been using VR headsets for their quarterbacks this preseason and through the year to do more reps. And it seems like that's the type of thing that he needs live experience to grow at. Would you agree? Yeah, totally, Lauren. And, you know, that's one of those things that, you know, and I know we're going to talk a little bit, a little bit later about just general philosophies of when young quarterbacks should play, but there are things that you can develop away from the field, you know, whether it's in college or when you get to the NFL, like you can do exercises and, you know, build core strength and things like that, throw in work to like refine mechanics, generally speaking. That might help arm velocity. It might help ball placement and things like that. But there are things such as the mental component of the game where, you know, you can put on the headset, you can play Madden, you can watch from the sidelines, you can watch tape, whatever. And you might think you understand like what to do when you see a cover two look that gets rolled to cover three Mabel on the fly and you're trying to go through your progression reads. But you can't really duplicate that even in practice because when it's in practice, yeah, you're going up against guys that you kind of know or guys that are backups or whatever the case may be. But then when you get between the white lines and you've got Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas showing you cover two and then they're going to rotate it on the fly. That's a different thing. And that's how you actually learn. That's how you actually refine that skill. And, you know, that is something that you can develop, but it takes live reps. And for a guy like Trubitsky that, like, you know, had the 13 starts, like, it's almost similar to Carson Wentz in that sense where, you know, you're in an offense in college where a lot of the times 
you know, looking back to Wentz, Carson Wentz's first read was open because North Dakota State was a FCS powerhouse. And he was playing on teams that were usually better than the opposition. And he could afford to wait on his first read or stare it down because he figured it was going to be open at some point. And then when you're down in the senior bowl mobile, it's a little bit tougher. And then when you start getting live reps for the Philadelphia Eagles, it's tougher still. But you'll get there. And it's I sort of expect that same little developmental curve for Trubisky. Well, that developmental curve for Mitchell Trubisky starts this week with the Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football. And I think everyone in Chicago is convinced that he can be the difference maker in this game. And I think Mitchell Trubisky can also be a moneymaker in this game if you're ready to seize the opportunity. Seize the opportunity with xbet.ag. xbet has live and in-game betting, so if you feel like you need a half or a few quarters of Mitchell Trubisky football before you're ready to throw down, you can still get in on the winning before the game is over. They have a clean and easy-to-use website with some really slick graphics on there and a nice, easy-to-use, clean user interface that makes the experience all that much better. And with their mobile site, it's kind of like having Vegas in your pocket, so you can always bet on the go, always get in on the action and the winning. When you join XBet today, you can get up to a 100% bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code XBET. Easy enough to remember. Don't sit there missing out on your opportunity to win big. And don't let your friends miss out either. If you would refer a friend to XBET, you get up to a 100% bonus on their deposit too, added right into your account. So check out the newest and most exciting betting platform on the planet and use the promo code XBET for your extra bonus. And I gotta say, having Mark Schofield on the podcast to talk quarterbacks feels like an extra bonus to me too. And I want to make it clear why a Mark Schofield knows so much, especially about the difference between practice and and game time. Mark was a a college quarterback at Wesleyan University in the mid to late 90s. I did my homework, Mark, and I wanted to ask you. Yeah, if... Do you sympathize a little bit with Trubisky? I'm surprised he didn't go higher on your draft board because I know you were stuck behind Jake Fay on the depth chart there at Wesleyan, and he went on to be, what, the all-time passing leader there. And Trubisky, he was stuck behind Marquise Williams for a while, too. Do you do you feel like some, some sympathy there? First of all, my friend, in the years that I've been doing football media work, you are the first person that has mentioned the name Jake Faye. So I have to I am beyond impressed with the homework that you have done, my friend. That is impressive. But I mean, I, I guess it's an interesting question, you learn. And you know, part of me is just that I'm always sort of sympathetic in a way towards the quarterbacks in general, towards the quarterback position and scouting these guys because, you know, I've been in those quarterback rooms when you're competing for a job and then maybe you didn't get it or you've been benched or you've been pulled from a game because you know, you mentioned Jake Fay. The one start I had in college, after I threw my second interception, this came, one came in the red zone on a wide throwback, on a third and goal situation. I got pulled, and they put Jake back in, and Jake could barely walk because he had blown up his ankle the week before when I came in, and he got hurt before the half. And he could barely walk through two touchdown passes in the fourth quarter, and we won. So I can say that Westland was 1-0 in games where I was a starting quarterback, but it had absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with me. But I, I will take that to my grave, my friend. That and the fact that Westland is 1-0 all-time against the Michigan Wolverines. We beat them back in, I think, 1892, and those cowards have been ducking us ever since. 
Well, anyway. Hey, I mean, they're just scared. Jim Harbaugh sounds scared. Of they are Western. running scared, man. They are running scared, my friend. No, but – and that's an interesting thing when I'm doing my work in terms of, you know, trying to not be biased. And we all sort of have biases when we're doing scouting work or evaluation work because we all have players that we like or play styles that we like. And, you know, I've got a soft spot for quarterbacks. I'll freely admit that. And one of the hardest things I find myself doing is not constantly saying, oh, this guy's a great player. He's going to be a great player. He can do things incredibly well. It's sometimes hard to, like, divorce myself and my background from the work and be critical. And then – there are times that I'll try to find my I'll find myself being over, overly critical because of it, and you know it, it's different. But I think you know the background that I have sort of allows me to get into their minds a little bit when they're you know when I went through that earlier example, Trubisky running the stick concept. It's like you know I I can understand why he did that because that's probably exactly what I would have done, which is why I was a backup quarterback <laughs> and not a starter because I would have tucked it around of that situation and completely froze like a deer in headlights. So I can. I could see these things and so I can identify with it. And, you know, I, I think it gives me, you know, an interesting insight into it. It doesn't make, you know, my takes any better or worse than everybody. It's just, it's just another little different component to bring to the table. And that's why I brought you to the table and I'm there so appreciative of having you here on the podcast. I wanted to, I wanted to circle back a little bit more to Trubisky here, but you talked about biases a little bit in quarterback evaluation. And I think Bears fans and I, I, I try my best to avoid this as well, but you know, we watched Mitch Trubisky play this preseason, and it's really easy to get excited, especially when it's juxtaposed directly by Mike Glennon and Mark Sanchez before him. And so, I think there's this certain expectation, or maybe implicitly, that he's going to be this Messiah, the savior of Chicago, the the great quarterback that this city has been starved for since 1985, and he's going to step in and turn everything around they're going to beat the Vikings on Monday they're going to beat the Ravens afterwards they're going to you know he is going to be the true difference maker in in the future of this franchise and I think we all need to do at least in Chicago take a step back and understand the things you were saying as far as you know being able to read a coverage post snap maybe a little bit of the lower body mechanics I I also think he could use a little bit better touch on his deep balls in terms of honing that in but again that's a, a minor nitpicky thing but they're going to be interceptions and there are going to be fumbles, there are going to be turnovers that maybe frustrate you, the, the rookie mistakes. But I, I guess where where does the, the the four games on the bench to start the year come into this level of development? I wanted to ask you, you know, a little bit more quarterback philosophy, but, you know, what's your thoughts on what he can gain, or I guess what he did gain or what he lost potentially from sitting on the bench for the first four weeks of the season behind a Mike Glennon? Well, I mean, there's a couple of ways to look at this. And just at the outset, you know, when Chicago made the move to go get Trubisky, it was one of those things where, like, I know, you know, a lot of people were like, you're going to trade up to get this guy? Like, really? But at the same time, quarterback is a position that, you know, look around this league. Look at some of the teams that haven't figured this position out yet and are, have just basically been stuck in what we're, we all like to call quarterback purgatory for three years, five years, ten years, if you're the Cleveland Browns. I mean, it's such an important position. And, you know, maybe this is just my quarterback bias creeping in again, but I'm always of the mindset that draft a quarterback every other year. I mean, I'm the host of Locked On Patriots. I've watched the Patriots in and out every season. They've had Tom Brady in place for how long? But yet, 
out of the 16 drafts or so since they've had since they drafted Brady, they've taken a quarterback at eight. You know, they take a quarterback basically every other year because quarterback's an important position. You got to make sure you've got to figure it out. You've got to have a plan B. I mean, look at the Dallas Cowboys. You know, they lose Romo two years ago. They didn't have a plan B, and they were just dead in the water. And so I think it's always important to address this position because it's it's so critical. And that if you're Chicago and Trubisky was your guy, just get him. You know, if you've identified the traits in him that you like, that you want at the quarterback position, and you think this is going to be your long-term answer, then just do whatever it takes to get the guy. Like, you know, I, I may have disagreed with Trubisky being the first quarterback off the board, but if they were convinced, it just takes one. You know, so, you know, if anybody's still sort of worried about, you know, what they give up to get him, like, don't be. Like, if they trusted that this was their guy, it makes all the sense of the world to go get him. But when they did make that move, I sat back and looked at the schedule and, man, I mean, you're opening up with Atlanta. Then you go to Tampa Bay, you get Steelers at home, and then at Packers on a short week. Like, that's just a tough four-game stretch to start the season with a rookie quarterback. And so I was always of the mindset that, look, they're going to get him on the field at some point here in the first year and in his rookie season, and they should because he needs those reps to develop. But it would really surprise me if they ran him out in these first four games. Like I was somebody that was looking at that Panthers game in three weeks. Mm -hmm. Might have been the time to sort of get him on the field. you know. But I kind of think that the way that they've handled this you know, they had the short week at Green Bay. That was a tough four-game stretch to start. Now you get almost that mini-buy, so you get about 10 days or so to get him getting starter reps all the way through practice. I think that makes a lot of sense. So I, I can kind of see the way they handle this. I'm kind of almost on board with how they handle it because, yeah, he lost four games of live, live reps. Okay. But I wasn't. I was a little wary of him running out there to start the season, given the way this season started off for them schedule-wise. There are still things you can learn on the sidelines. I mean, I learned a ton at Wesleyan on the sidelines watching Jake Fay. You know, because you get the play call. You can read the coverage best as you can from the sideline, and you can try to run yourself through that mental process. Yeah, it's not the same, but you can get a little bit better. You can start to figure out if you're on the same page with a guy that's actually out there doing it. You can try to hone that sort of mental aspect of the game, which is one of those things I think you can really develop in the National Football League as opposed to some of the other aspects of playing the position, the more athletic, mechanical ones, which are tougher to develop because of muscle memory. This stuff, you can start to work on it. It's not the same, but it's something. And so I, I think this has afforded them the opportunity to avoid a tough stretch at the start, avoid some games that would have been really tough for him, I think. Now he gets an extra chunk of time to get those starter reps in practice. And so I think this has actually been handled fairly well, looking back at how this all came together. You talk about him learning a little bit in these in these four weeks and, and still you know taking those mental reps. And because of the, the inexperience at North Carolina, the 13 games, do you think that makes him more moldable or maybe impressionable in terms of development? Because, I mean, obviously – quarterbacks they don't you don't necessarily completely overhaul a guy you know very quickly or anything like that but he has played quarterback his whole life just not a lot of live games experience so do you think in terms of development he is more moldable than maybe a less experienced quarterback or is that overblown i i certainly think some aspects of his game are probably more moldable than others I mean, if you've got a guy that comes into the league that has been playing the position his entire life, that was a three or four year starter in college, 
that at that point kind of has the mindset that, look, I, I know what I'm doing here. You can just say Deshaun Watson. It's okay. I was going the Josh Rosen route, but yeah, sure, Deshaun <laughs> oh, that, Watson. That, you could go there too. I mean, you know, I mean, there are some there are some things that might take a little bit of time to sort of unlearn and then relearn. You know, I think Trubisky, looking at him, he's probably more moldable in that sense. And you know, I, I think that there are you know some things where he he might even be better off in that sense because. You know, maybe he doesn't have to unlearn as much. Maybe he doesn't have to, like, break down as much. Maybe he's more sort of sponge-worthy in a sense where he can, like, take in some new knowledge and apply it when he gets between the lines. So I think there is something to be said for that. And, you know, the other aspect here, you know, we've talked a little bit about the lower body mechanics and the hips and the stuff like that. You know, that's always a refinement issue. There won't be as much muscle memory to sort of unlearn. You know, then when you think about, for example, I mean, the prime example is Tim Tebow. Now, obviously, his mechanics were a wreck, but they were never going to get fixed in the NFL. There was no way because you just revert to muscle memory. I mean, it's one thing, you know, and another example is Blake Bortles. I mean, how often, how much have we heard about Blake Bortles and his mechanics getting refined? Mm -hmm. He's still a trebuchet out there. (laughs) Yeah. Siege weaponry reference, people. Look it up. But he's a (laughs) trebuchet back there, and it's not changing. I mean, I just got done breaking down his entire game against the Jets, and it's still there, and it's – not going away because he's been doing it for so long and you can try to fix it you can try to refine it you can try to make it better cleaner whatever but when it's third and seven you've got you know Dwayne Fowler coming off the edge you're going to revert to what you've been doing for the past 13 years of your life like it's just that's just what you'll do mm-hmm. and you know Trubisky's ahead of the curve in that sense because you know he doesn't have the mechanical issues like a Bortles had, like a Tebow had, or even a Carson once had it to a certain extent. Once has refined him, yeah, sure, but you know Trubisky's much farther along in that sense, and so I, I think he's ahead of the game in that sense too. Well, he is he is still moldable, and I I guess I was wondering, you know, just a little bit off topic on the side here, the Bears have done what the Cowboys did. You know, last year with Dak Prescott, they brought Mark Sanchez in to be that player coach on the roster to sort of be the the Mitchell Trubisky quarterback developer. I mean, that doesn't seem to me like they ever intended Mark Sanchez to play real football this season because, like, all preseason he played literally 14 snaps. I think either six or eight pass attempts in this offense. He was inactive from the start of week one. Do you think – or I guess what do you think the value is – in that, like, can, can Sanchez and, and having that guy potentially dedicated to this, can that offer more than Trubisky's not going to get from, you know, watching Mike Glennon and, and obviously having the quarterback coach who's trying to develop him anyway? You know, people talk a lot about quarterback rooms, and you hear often, like, oh, he's a great guy to have in the quarterback room. And you hear about, like, Josh McGowan, for example, oh, he's a great guy to have in the quarterback room. And there's a reason why people talk about that. There's a reason why people play that up because – you know, think about yourself. Think about, you know, whatever job you have, wherever you are in life. Sometimes hearing advice or constructive criticism from an authority type figure, sometimes it rubs you the wrong way. Sometimes you're just sitting there and you're like, oh, I just, I don't want to hear it. But when it's a somewhat of a peer, somebody who's like been in your shoes, somebody who's like been there and gone through those types of things and isn't sort of a supervisor figure or an authority figure, just more of a peer. Sometimes the advice hits home. Sometimes you digest it more. You understand it more because that person's been where you are and they're more of a peer. They're more of somebody in your age bracket. And so I think there is something to be said for that, for the 
Mark Sanchez can have a sort of advisory role here and advise Trubisky. And so when Trubisky throws an interception, it comes off the sideline and he's got an offensive coordinator in his ear and John Fox is yelling at him and the fans are booing him. <laughs> then Sanchez can kind of take him aside and say, look, you know, what, what, what went wrong? Then they can talk through it. And Trubisky can start to sort out like what it is that happened, where it went wrong, and Sanchez could give him some advice. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. It's the same thing when, you know, when they get to Monday film session and Trubisky's getting yelled again for the same pick and everybody's yelling at him and he's sweating through his gray shirt and he's feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> then Sanchez can take him aside in the quarterback room and say, hey, you know, this is the mistake that you made and, you know, what do you think you're going to do next time you see this and work it out that way. And, you know, again, I – that comes from my own experiences. I mean, believe me, when I was getting ready to make that one start, Jake Faye was right next to me the entire week on crutches saying, you know, this is what you got to do or, you know, this is what you'll see or this is what you should expect when they show you this look in the secondary. Like, it helps because that's the guy that's been there. That's the guy that's been doing it. That's the guy that, you know, is your peer. It's not a coach yelling at you or somebody with the power to, like, bench you. It's a buddy. And so it does matter. It can have a positive impact on a player. And so I think it's a great, you know, it's a great piece of insight there that Sanchez could have a big role here. Yeah, it's clear by keeping a Sanchez on the roster, the Bears are putting an emphasis on Mitchell Trubisky's development, perhaps over using that spot on a guy who would contribute potentially on game day. Not that there's all this talent just waiting to fill on the roster, but still you're using the roster spot on someone that's not necessarily helping you win games, especially first four weeks of the season. But the the priority there is on the long-term development of Mitchell Trubisky. And I think the Bears are trying to avoid any kind of, of misstep in his development. And I wanted to ask you about those in particular because we've seen – you know, quarterbacks fail, and, and whether it be, you know, there's some talk of, well, maybe Blake Bortles was played too early, or maybe, you know, ex-quarterback was was forced into some bad situations, built bad habits. But there was actually a, a big debate on Twitter today between some of the Bears' beat writers talking about this, about how when you see a quarterback that may be, quote-unquote, played too early, they also have some fatal flaws in their games that might not have been necessarily weaned out with more time on the bench. So what do you think is the biggest or what are the biggest quarterback development errors and pitfalls that you see teams do that can ruin quarterbacks that the Bears should try and avoid? The easiest way for me to answer this would just be to say, look, there's a great piece written by Matt Waldman titled Ruining QBs, April 27, 2015, that people should definitely check out. And Matt makes a ton of great points there. I'll probably tweet it out tonight or something. Um, but I agree with what a, a lot of what Matt says of this. And the main thing that you have to do from an organizational standpoint is make it clear to the quarterback that you're our guy. You're the franchise now. But we might have to do some of the things to protect you that you're not going to like. And Matt talks a lot about how Marty Schottenheimer handled Drew Brees. There were times when he benched Brees because they were down by like 20. They were down by, you know, 14 late and he was getting beaten out there. And he would tell him when he came to the sideline, look, if this was a one-score game, you're a guy, you'd be in there. But we're not winning this game. I'm not running you out there to make more mistakes and make things worse. I'm not running you out there to get beat up behind this offensive line. So then you start dropping your eyes next week in the first quarter because you're afraid to get hit. Like sometimes putting somebody down on the bench and sitting them for a series, sitting them for the rest of the game is a 
almost compassionate thing to do because that's a situation where you can ruin a kid. Like look at David Carr, how they kept running him out there to take those beatings behind that offensive line, and it just ruined him. There were some situations where they should have just sat him down and said, look, we're down by 21 here in the third quarter. We're not moving the ball at all. There's no sense in running you back out there. You're, this isn't a situation where you can like play yourself through it. Now, if Chicago is, you know, it's a one-score game and he throws a pick or two, you know, don't pull him then. You know, that's a situation where you play through that. Like you, you're still our guy. We trust you to go out there and win this game. But if he throws a pick against Minnesota on Monday night in the third quarter and it's 28 nothing, and it's a pick six and suddenly it's 35 nothing, then, okay, look, let's just take a step back. We'll run Glennon out there or whatever. It's nothing against you, but we got to figure it out. We don't want to just destroy you here right now. We don't want to just ruin it all right now. We'll figure it out over the week, film session, on the practice field, etc. And we'll go back at it Monday or next Sunday. But you're still our guy, but we're not going to expose you to more mistakes like this. So I think making sure the guy knows that he's the future, but getting him out of bad situations when he doesn't need to still be out there. I mean, I think that those are te- things that teams can sort of do or avoid to handle these guys as they come in. They're going to make mistakes. You're going to have to live with those. But don't put them in dangerous situations to expose them to situations where they're going to develop bad habits in almost instantly. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. And I, I don't necessarily feel confident in the Bears to properly handle that situation, but I, I agree 100% that there, there's certain there's certain situations where you just you, you have to sort of take the priority of the quarterback development over the yeah. the wins and the losses because of how important the position is. It's again, you know, one of those common things you hear when a team trades up to get a guy in the first round or uses, you know, a ton of money to go sign a guy or whatever is, look, we've made this investment. Why isn't he playing? Well, you're not just going to make, you don't just run him out there when he's not ready, or you don't just run him out there because of that investment. If you've made this long-term investment, you want to make sure that Mitchell Trubisky is still the quarterback for the Chicago Bears in the year 2020 or 2021. You know, you don't want to, ruin him up front. You don't want to ruin him right away. There's no sense to run him out there if he's not ready in your mind and make the situation worse and increase the chances that he's going to end up busted. Like, what's the sense to just run him out there because you've done this? Handle it the right way so he's still your quarterback five years down the road, which is what you expected him to be when you drafted him, when you traded up to go get him. Especially when you're one and three and and kind of the Bears don't feel like a team that just a quarterback change is going to all of a sudden put them on a, you know, they're going to go six and two in their next game and their next stretch and somehow make a playoff push here. Right. Clearly, you know, John Fox is sort of on his way out and there's already some, some, you know, some coffins being opened up for his Chicago Bears career. And there's probably going to be a, a new coaching staff in the near future for Mitchell Trubisky. So I, I, I agree that in, in this kind of a season, I, I just worry that I guess uh, uh, John Fox will have the incentive to put Trubisky's development over wins and losses simply because he'll his his own job could be required or could be dependent on Mitchell Trubisky getting those wins and losses in in critical situations. Yeah, and, and that's you know that was one of the other sort of concerns that I had you know when they drafted him was like look he's a guy that I think can play his rookie year but it needs to be handled the right way. I'm worried that because of 
you know, Fox's tenuous situation in Chicago because you trade up to number two to get him, because there's going to be pressure internally, you know, at Soldier Field, as well as outside the building in terms of the media, the fan base, et cetera, to see him on the field that, you know, his transition to the NFL might be a bumpier one than, say, we've seen from Deshaun Watson or, you know, Patrick Mahomes, for example. And so, you know, that was another one of my fears. I hope that the organization is going to be smart enough to, you know, if you get those situations where they're down in a game and, you know, he's struggling and he's just making things worse and worse and worse. Like, you know, if you've seen the movie The Replacements, you know quicksand. It's a thing. You know, you're struggling. You make a mistake. You press a little bit harder. You make another mistake. Suddenly you're down and you're facing third and long and you make an even bigger mistake. And before you know it, you just feel like you're drowning back there in the pocket. It's a real thing. I've lived it. You know, if you see that situation in him Monday night, two Sundays from now, whatever, you need to get ahead of it. And so I just, you know, I hope for his sake and for the organization's future that they handle it the right way. If they see things like that happen and that they get him out of the now, who knows? We could be spending a lot of time on this and he's going to come out and light the world on fire. And that would be great. But let's be reasonable about expectations here. He's a rookie quarterback. Rookie quarterbacks make mistakes. You look at Deshaun Watson's game against the Titans. Yeah, he throws four touchdowns and runs in another one. He still made some mistakes in that game. I mean, you look at the interception he that threw. That was a bad interception. It was a yeah. bad interception. Footwork was completely off. Didn't even come close to stepping into it. Just one of those throws that you instantly want to have back. And to his credit, you could tell – he knew it too. So those are the types of mistakes where if Trubisky has a throw like that, okay, he'll learn from it. But know that those plays are going to happen. Know that those mistakes are going to happen. He'll be okay in the long run if it's handled the right way, but those mistakes are going to be there. Yeah, and, and those mistakes point to sort of the, the trials and tribulations of quarterback development. And you plugged Matt Waldman's article on ruining quarterbacks. I'm going to tweet it out too. I, I dug it up and found it while you were talking. And I think you should also plug one of your articles, The Grass is Not Always Greener and Development is Not Linear, talking about how quarterbacks develop. I know that's more particularly in college is what you wrote about how from year to year, sort of the expectations and the development of these players, they don't always grow from sophomore to junior to senior and, and get better as the year goes on. But I think that's equally true for the NFL and how, you know, maybe, you know, these guys are going to take a step back. You know, Carson Wentz, so some people maybe got a little bit overhyped with how he performed as a rookie and sort of as he's leveled off a little bit in year two, maybe that is, there's, there's a, a expectation of a disappointment there. But regardless, all these quarterbacks, Mariota and even Cam Newton earlier and all of these guys, there's, there's that up and down and that development isn't going to be, you know, linear. It's not a, a straight vertical or I guess diagonal line of growth over time. And so I guess I wanted to ask you, what do you think Mitchell Trubisky's development should look like, you know, based off of his skill set, what he does well, what he doesn't, and sort of what's the trajectory here for, you know, where should he be after year one? Maybe where should he be in a couple years? What what is the what is the growth timeline that would be sort of ideal? I guess. I mean, I'll go back to sort of what I wrote about him and the scouting report I did for him for the ITP draft guide. I mean, you know, I sort of have the expectation that he could be a what we call a functional starter as a rookie. Yeah, he's going to make mistakes, but he's going to be functional enough that your team can win games with him. He's not going to be a complete anchor around the offense that's going to, you know, you're going to find situations where you're losing games because of him. Yeah, there will be mistakes, but he can be a functional starter in this league as a rookie. I think he can. You know, I think 
what you'd like to see sort of from a developmental track would be, say, end of year two. So the end of, say, next year. You're looking at a guy that now is like, you know, he's not a tier two guy or maybe even a tier three guy. But he's in that solidly in that like fourth tier of guys creeping up to that third tier. So that like that mid tier guy, that's what I think that is the best case scenario for his development. And I think he's got the talent to do that, you know, and I think, you know, in terms of development for quarterbacks generally, I mean, the the article you mentioned, Lauren, you know, part of the reason that I wrote that was because, you know, during the last combine and the last draft process, everybody was talking about, Oh, Sam Darnold, Ooh, Josh Allen. Ooh, Forget about Deshaun Watson. Forget about Deshaun Kaiser. Forget about Patrick Cajones. Forget about Mitchell Trubisky. This quarterback class, whatever. Next year's quarterback class is going to be great. Well, we hear that every year. It's because people assume that these guys are going to have these diagonal developmental arcs. Everybody's going to get better from year to year to year. And, oh, if this guy was great last year, just imagine how great he's going to be next year. Well, what's happened since then? Sam Donald has thrown picks. You know, Josh Rosen is making mistakes left and right. Josh Allen has basically fallen off the face of the earth. I mean, people are now wondering if he's even going to come on. And it's because we're still talking about guys that are 19, 20, 21, 22. I mean, even guys like Watson, 22. I mean, these are young kids. And think about when you were that age. I mean, I'll have to think back a long way from when I was at that age. And I'm currently that age, so it's a little bit tough for me. But still, I mean, you you (laughs) take different developmental leaps – just generally as a person from year to year. I mean, some years are better than others. And then you're trying to like project that to that national football league and what these guys are going to do when suddenly they're not the big man on campus anymore. I mean, Carson Wentz goes from Fargo, North Dakota. Now he's in Philadelphia. You know, he's always been the biggest, literally and figuratively speaking guy on campus. And now He's in one of the biggest cities in the country on the East Coast with a Philadelphia media market, watching his every move and seeing where he goes to dinner. I mean, you're talking about guys that are now suddenly seeing snow for the first time. And so there's so much that goes – not Carson Wentz, obviously come from North Dakota. I mean, he saw snow his entire life. But, That's you know, awesome. you don't – yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying here. I mean, you're talking about guys that are making huge life changes and then – in the midst of all that, learning a new offense and learning to be a professional football player and all the attendant circumstances that go along with it. And so there are going to be mistakes. There might even be some regression from, again, look at once, had four great games to start his NFL career, and then teams figured out what he was doing. And then we saw some regression. And then near the end of the season, we saw a little bit of an upward swing. And so there were going to be like bumps and waves and hills and valleys and things like that. But you just want to see him getting a little bit better and better and better over say each four game period like it's you know you're not going to see this line shooting up off this charts but you just want to see him getting a little bit better over each like four game chunk because there are going to be some games where it might not be there where defense is going to have him schemed up left and right he's going to make a mistake early you know maybe somebody else makes a mistake and they get behind early or whatever reason and the game script changes so they're going to don't look at it as a week to week or a drive to drive or a play to play type thing just take it as sort of like four game chunks. Make sure you're seeing a little bit of development, a little bit of growth. That's kind of the way to approach it. 
And I think there's a misconception about sort of when quarterback development stops or even this idea that it does stop. I mean, you talk about the, the first years, year-to-year growth and even the four-game stretches, but even veteran quarterbacks, you look at a guy like Carson Palmer who had, comes into, what was it, 2015 where he had that phenomenal you know, top five quarterback like season, and then it completely drops off and he hasn't been the same guy since. And he was really never the same guy before that, but it just kind of all came together for one fantastic year. And even Aaron Rodgers, you know, especially that Super Bowl time, he was playing just like the greatest quarterback in NFL history. And then a couple years ago, he's had some stretches where, and even early this season, he has some stretches where he throws some interceptions, tries to do a little bit too much with the offense. He gets rid- he gets out of the pocket way too early when pressure's not there, tries to force things down the field, throws interceptions, and looks a little bit more human. And so I think there, there's sort of this idea that maybe quarterbacks hit a point where like, well, by year three, this quarter, you know, this quarterback is what he is, but they are who they are. But you still see those waves up and down. Even Tom Brady at forty years old, uh, up and down through. I mean, always at a high level, but still these these bumps that continue throughout a career. And I think that's important to keep in perspective with Mitch Trubisky and all these young quarterbacks. Yeah, and you know, you, you mentioned three years, Lauren, and you know, Bill Walsh, who has forgotten more about playing the quarterback position and coaching the quarterback position and scouting the quarterback position than I will ever know in my life. He was always of the mind that, look, quarterbacks just have to figure it out by the end of their third year. Not that that's where they're done developing, but they just got to like figure out how to play the position of the National Football League by the end of their third year in the NFL. And so I always have this like three-year mindset on these guys. Like Jared Goff. You know, a guy that many had sort of written off as a bust based on how he looked last year. I was always the mindset that let's give the guy three years. Mm-hmm. And he looks great right now. Like Sean McVay is working some wonders with him right now. So I think he's starting to figure it out. We'll see how he looks at the end of next year. And so for Trubitsky, again, you know, it's a three-year sort of thing. If we start seeing a click for him, like, for example, I think it's click for golf. I think it's click for Wentz to a certain extent. Then, okay, great. But the development never ends. You know, when you mentioned Tom Brady, I mean, there's a guy that there have been ups and downs. There have been some seasons, some games where it hasn't fully come together. He's missed throws. But you still see development in him even at this stage in his career. I mean, he's never been the most athletic guy. But the way he moves around and slides around in the pocket has probably been better the past three years than it was earlier in his career. You know, because you start to... Even at that point in your career, you learn what you can and can't do, and you learn what you have to do to be able to navigate a pocket and to create enough space to make a throw. And so the development never really ends. It just takes on different forms and different aspects of your playing style develop. But I think, again, three years, give it that sense of time. Give it that period of time to grow and to incubate and to simmer or marinate or whatever word you want to use. You know, that's sort of the time frame, the hurdle to look at when you're evaluating any of these guys that are coming out, including Mitchell Trubisky. So three years from now, in the 2020 Super Bowl, when Deshaun Watson and Mitchell Trubisky face off Bears-Texans, who will you be rooting for? It won't matter because I will be just lighting the timeline up on fire when that happens with the takes, (laughs) man. I've been telling people, though, I mean, you know, with, with the golf and the Wentz stuff from last year and people being down on golf and Wentz, I was telling people, look, man, the way these two teams are playing right now, if there's a golf Wentz playoff game, oh boy, the timeline is going to be some fun. The timeline will be some fun. 
people will be digging up old tweets. They'll oh, get the, old takes exposed. Yeah, cold, cold takes exposed will be a, a, an account to follow if you're not already. But, I mean, look, that 2020 Super Bowl Chicago and Houston, I mean, again, when it comes down to it, back to my bias here, I mean, these are my children. You know, the, all these quarterbacks <laughs> coming out, they're my children. It's like asking me to pick between my kids. I mean, of course, look, I love Watson. I mean, I went to bat for him last year. I'm going to bat for him every day on Twitter, you know, even now. But I think that would be an amazing thing to see. And, you know, I'm really excited, Lauren, about these young quarterbacks that are coming into the league. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm six months older than Tom Brady. It's great to see a guy my age do what he does every Sunday, considering I can barely get out of bed and my back is killing me right now as I'm sitting here talking to you, just sitting on a chair. On a chair. So it's amazing to see Tom Brady playing the way he is. But... You know, I'm really excited about these guys, like Watson and you know Kaiser to an extent, and Mahomes and Trubisky. You know when those guys start playing, and you know some of the guys from years past, like Mariota and Winston, and you know Goff and Wentz from last year. It's, it's I think there is some nice young talent at, the, at this position that's coming in. I think we're going to keep seeing guys come in over the next couple of years that are really really good and are going to be fun to watch. And you know when the old guard sort of finally changes out I, i'm really excited about this young new guard that's coming into the league and you know i think people should be excited about these guys as well you know they're going to play great football they're great athletes they're great quarterbacks and they have potential to be even better in the national football league so it's going to be fun to watch well it was fun to have you on this lockdown bears podcast talk about these great quarterbacks great athletes great quarterback mind here on the lockdown bears podcast with mark schofield you can follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Again, he is Twitter's resident quarterback expert. Tracks those quarterbacks for NFL 1000 at Bleach Report. He is the the big cheese over at Inside the Pylon, lead writer over there, and the host of Locked On Patriots here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. I don't think Bears fans can hear this type of quarterback development in-depth talk anywhere else, and I'm glad I was able to get you on here to talk through it. It's been a pleasure, my friend. And listen, again... Thank you for getting me lunch out in Chicago this summer, man. I, I I know I've played this up a lot, man. But, you know, my friend here and I, we were at the Big Ten Media Days, and Lauren walked away. I was wondering where he was. He comes back. He's bringing me lunch. It was one of the nicest gestures I've seen in my entire time in this business. So, I, again, I can't thank you enough for that, my friend. Yeah, I walked uh... – Around the corner to the other conference center in the in the hotel. Yeah, it wasn't the, like it was at the back lunch. of the room, people. It wasn't like it was just 10 feet away. He had to, it was, Yeah, it was 50 feet away. Ooh. <laughs> 50 feet away. Have people seen the Chicago Convention Center? It's it's almost the size of Chicago. Yeah, the, the, was it the, the Wyatt region? No, where was that? The, the, the big old center down there. The McCormick. Yeah. McCormick Place, yeah. That yes. Was, that place this was is my huge. first time there, and people, I got lost, and I was staying there, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like four buildings and they're connected yeah. by these pathways. It was crazy. And, so, I yeah. mean, this wasn't a little like quick trip to the back of the room for my friend here. So I'm still appreciative of that. He's a good man, people. Follow him on Twitter if you're not following him already. Although if you're listening, you probably are, but still. He's, he's, this Locked on Bears is in good hands. I'll say that. Well, and Locked on Patriots is too. And I will trade a, a walk to lunch for 45 minutes of just gold quarterback talk. I think this is a, a much a must listen podcast, and I'm again really appreciative of you for coming on. Um, anytime, my friend. Anytime. I had a blast.